you're listening to the Way Community Church Lakeland podcast, where our mission is to reach people with the life-giving message of Jesus Christ, that they might become fully devoted followers of Christ. We hope this message from our weekend service encourages you in your walk with the Lord. And now, here's the message. Good morning. How's it going? Brady was lying about that first service. It was rough. Um... So uh, welcome. Um, if you would, we're going to jump in. So if you want to just stand, we're going to go ahead and read the word. The first passage today uh, comes from Jeremiah 23, verses 5 and 6. And it says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will raise to David a branch of righteousness. A king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. In his days... Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell safely. Now this is his name by which he will be called, the Lord, our righteousness. Let's pray. Lord, in this moment, I ask that you would come and be present with your people. God, I pray that you would be glorified in anything that I say, that your, your word, your message will come out. And God, that you would be honored that I can say something useful for your people that highlights your nature and your righteousness. Amen. You can be seated. So I think this is the last week of the um, series that we've been on about God's names, Jehovah, going through a series of names. It's been pretty awesome. Um, Today, uh, it's Jehovah Sidkenu. That's the last uh, words of that verse we just read, the Lord our righteousness uh, Yahweh or Jehovah Sidkenu. And it combines God's personal name, Yahweh, with uh, the, the Hebrew word for righteousness, Sidkenu. And Sidkenu appears like a thousand times in the Old Testament, and it's, um, you know, it means literally like straightness or rigidity. So if you think about somebody you know uh, that has like really good posture, you know, there's, uh, they're kind of that military bearing by the book ship shape, you know, bounce a bit, a quarter off the bed kind of guy. Um, that's that's the, the context of that. And it's translated as right or righteous or uh, justify or uh, declare innocent, depending on that kind of the context. But only twice in the entire Bible is that word, sidkenu, righteousness, uh, does it appear as an attachment to God's personal name, Yahweh. Both of them are here in the book of Jeremiah. They're like 10 chapters apart, and it's essentially almost an exact copy of that verse I just read you. It appears again. Um, So there are many words that are used to refer to God in the Bible. Um, One that we hear a lot is El or Elohim. Um, That actually is not a personal name. That's kind of like a blanket term for God, for deity. Um, just like a, a lot of times nowadays, you'll hear mo- people in our culture, they'll say they have this God, that God. You know, uh, Somebody from India might have a bunch of gods, right? But they all, all use that term God. That's kind of how El was. Um, different made-up deities, blanket term God. We know there's one El, Ohim, but the word itself is used kind of in a blanket way. But names in the Old Testament were more than just identification. They were uh, like actually a part of your identity many times. There would be a, a particular meaning that was attached to your name. Um, we see some examples of this where 
God changes Abram's name. Abram meant father, right? He said, no, you're going to be Abraham, father of a multitude, father of many nations. He changes Jacob's name. Jacob meant deceiver, changes it to Israel. You know, let God have the victory or let God, forget exactly. Um, That's going to bother me. Prevail. There it is. Let God prevail. And then the angel tells Joseph, you got to name the baby Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And Jesus and Yeshua, Joshua are all kind of cognate for salvation. The Lord is, is our salvation. We, uh, we, we don't do this as much today. I mean, a lot of times people know, they may know like what their name means, but it's not like a huge significance attached to it. Uh, my daughter, Veda Anila, my wife, G.I., really spent a, a, a lot of time and really thought about this. There was a, we didn't just choose Veda Anila because it sounds good, which I think it rolls off the tongue really well, but, that's, but um, there was like a particular context of meaning of what we believed about her. By the way, I didn't cry at all in the first service. And I'm going to cry even less in this service. So, but Veda meant, uh, it's a Sanskrit word, it means wise, or wisdom, really, personified, wise. And uh, Anila is a Polish version of the word, same word, wrote as angel, messenger, somebody who's sent from God. So Veda, Anila, wise woman, sent from God. And we believe that about her when she was in a womb even less. And um, 18 years later, she has proven thusly. Um, So God reveals himself through the context and and the culture of the people that he's dealing with, right? So we we should expect that uh, he he reveals part of his character through the names of the people that interact, or his names that are spoken by the people that uh, he interacts with in the Old Testament. And said that another way, God's names are revelations of who God is. We kind of see this. This is the way we use names, right? Uh, historically, we, there's like bake, basic categories of our identity. There's, you know, like L, God can be any God. But then there's like I could be in the category. I could be identified as man. That word could refer to me. I have to ask my wife when I'm trying to like do a minor house repair. Um, if that's true, but then, um, we have a proper name, right? So, so man, but then my proper name is Matt. That's my personal name. Um, Matt had an original meaning gift of God. Then, you know, surnames developed as there's more, you know, people that share the same personal name, right? So there's a bunch of little mats running around, little gifts of God in the village. The village gets bigger. Somebody's got a, you know, your neighbor asked you, did you see how good looking Matt was the other day? Which is a very common question people ask. Um, but the neighbor's like, which Matt? Are you talking about Matt, you know, John's son? Or are you talking about Matt the blacksmith? And the neighbor's, well, not, not, not Matt Smith, he's hideous. But Matt Johnson, that's the good looking one, right? So surnames kind of develop. Um, and then they're like titles develop to establish categories and roles. Right, so my proper name is Matt, but I'm a particular Matt, right? Matt Bullock. Um, and then to, to Veda and Elijah. And by the way, Rachel made fun of me in the last sermon. because She said that I didn't, I didn't have any meanings left for the rest of my kids. And that's not true. I had always wanted to name my firstborn son Elijah. So we just, that was just like in the bank already. And it does mean, it's, you see that L, E-L, L, Elijah? The Lord is my God, right? But I was going to name it regardless of what it meant. And then by the time we got, 
By the time we got to Grayson, that literally just means son of a gray-haired man, and that is per- totally accurate, totally accurate. Uh, Penny, I don't actually know the meaning. Penny, we just, he was just cute, so we call it Penny. So, um, so you know, to, to my kids, I'm Matt, Daddy, right? Matt, Dad. Um, and, and like, you know, I said in the first service, to, you know, Brady is Brady, specifically Benegas, but to Lacey, he's Brady, husband, right? Um, and sometimes those roles, the names associated with the roles and categories can actually become so closely related with the, uh, the personal name that you don't even, they can be used independently. I think I've heard Tim refer to Teresa as my bride about as often as I've heard him say her name. Uh, my brother-in-law, Wayne, he, you know, his kiddos call him, well, he's Wayne dad, right? Um, my sister, he's Wayne husband. But to students and administrators and teachers in Lake Wales, he's Wayne superintendent. So every one of these roles, and uh, they, they add a picture. They give us more information about the nature and the function of, of that person. Each of those roles and categories kind of comes with expectations as well which we do or do not fulfill in different portions. So God's name in the Old Testament functions similarly, um, God's names in the Old Testament, except that he perfectly embodies the attributes and the roles of the names that uh, that he has. So eventually God revealed his personal name to Moses. If you remember in the burning bush, Right, um, Moses eventually asks him, who do I tell the Israelites that is sending me to them? And God says, tell them I am that I am is sending you. It's pretty cool here, right? He's like, this is like God revealing his, his proper name. It's like, hey, I'm Moses. Nice to meet you, Moses. I am. That's kind of a big deal. Um, so that's Yahweh, right? Uh, I am that I am is Yahweh. Which it gets a little complicated because, like, eventually the, the Israelites stopped speaking the name of Yahweh out loud out of reverence. And then the, the ancient the written language of Hebrew didn't like have vowels. So, all we actually, we don't really know what it sounds like in between the consonants. It's just kind of that. Um, and then later on, like, when they would read the Old Testament, which it would actually have just that in it, they didn't want to accidentally say Yahweh out loud. So they would, they would use other words like Adonai, which means Lord, to make sure they didn't slip up. So then many years later, scribes were like, well, let's just pull some vowels out of Adonai and stick them in the middle of Yahweh. And we got this sort of Yehovah thing. Um, and then Later on, other scribes in Latin and Europe, they're like, well, the, the words change, the letters sound different now. So that's how we got Jehovah, which ended up in the King James Version. So now that's what we sort of call God. Just a little history lesson. Um, it's really probably closer to Yahweh, but they're pretty much interchangeable. I um, hope you're still with me. That was long. Okay. Um, so we know that, like David, probably wasn't pronouncing the word Jehovah like I'm saying it today when he said in 2 Samuel, after God had rescued him from Saul, and he said, I called to the Lord who was worthy of praise. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, my redeemer. He was actually, the text is, Yahweh is my rock. I called to Yahweh, who is worthy of praise. So he's, he's using the personal name of God. Um, 
So when the Hebrews and the Israelites used the personal name Yahweh or Jehovah, and then they tagged it with some other attribute or um, you know, revelation of his character, how he relates to people, that is something that we should pay attention to. It tells us something. So the last few weeks, we've understood more about how God relates to us, his people, as, as sheep, um, as Jehovah-Rohi, the Lord, my shepherd, that, that Teresa taught last week. And then Kyle taught us about El Roy, um, the Lord who sees me, us, you. Um, Lacey opened up Jehovah Shalom, which was awesome. The Lord is peace. And Tim preached about uh, Jehovah M'Kadesh, the Lord who makes us holy. And Jehovah Bor, the Lord creator. So today, we're kind of finishing that up. We're talking about Jehovah Sidkenu, the Lord, our righteousness. What does righteousness mean in the Bible? There's kind of two buckets. Right, there's an Old Testament. The main meaning is it's really righteousness is defined by the covenantal relationship between Yahweh and his people, Israel. So righteousness is the two partners in the agreement. How well do they meet the terms? That's what righteousness is. God is righteous because he fulfilled every part of it. What was the covenant, right? Fulf- obey me, keep the law of Moses. That's your part. God says, then I will protect you, bless you as a nation. He did his part. They did not do their part, right? They fell away over and over again as we do. So Israel, by that standard of righteousness, was not righteousness, was not righteous in God. God was. Um, the other kind of similar but not exactly the same way that righteousness is uh, in the Bible is more in the New Testament, the Greek everyday uh, language. It's, it was kind of defined in a, more of a legal sense, adherence to a standard, of, uh, to a law. Right? Conformity to the law meant was righteousness. So in the, the people that Jesus was walking around with, that's what they understood righteousness to be um, for the most part. Now, that sense of righteousness uh, as conformity to the law, is, is that's also in the Old Testament, but the Old Testament really defines it more narrowly as um, God, God himself, uh, essentially. So the standard of righteousness is like God is righteous because he acts according to his nature. God defines righteousness by himself. He literally is righteous. So if we think back to that first, first passage uh, in Jeremiah, behold, you know, the day is coming. Uh, I'm going to send a, a descendant of David. Uh, he's going to implement, he's going to execute, initiate righteousness, and his name will be Jehovah Sidkenu. Jeremiah was written before and then during the 70 years that the Israelites were exiled in Babylon. So um, Assyria had already like pretty much knocked out the other 10 tribes and there was like Judah holding on. They, they followed God for about two minutes extra before they fell away. And, and so then, uh, but they were kind of go, falling away into idolatry and Jeho- uh, Jeremiah is saying, hey, you guys got to watch this. It's going to be a problem. You're going you're gonna to have destruction. They didn't listen. Sure enough, Babylon comes in, takes them over, destroys Jerusalem, destroys the temple and carries off a big chunk of people to Babylon. Now, Jeremiah himself was not part of that. He stayed in, in Judah and continued to prophesy. But that's where you get these people in Babylon, your Shadrachs and your Meshachs and your Abednegoes, right? That's contemporary. Um, so, lost my place. Oh, so this ended up happening. Eventually, the Jews uh, did return, right? Jeremiah is saying, that, that, you know, 
temple will be rebuilt, the city will, will be rebuilt, and there will be a king. All of that happened except the king part, historically. Um, within 70 years of this prophecy, it came to pass. The, the, the Jerusalem was rebuilt, but what hadn't yet come was a king. And there was never a physical king again in Jerusalem. Uh, side note, there's kind of an interesting connection here to the later prophecy of Daniel, who was just shortly after Jeremiah. Um, in chapter 9, he, he says that there's going to be a decree issued where it's now Persia. They kicked out Babylon. Now they're, the king of Persia is going to let people go back to Jerusalem. And then 490 years later, there's going to be this guy called the Messiah, and he's going to be cut off. And I never remember the exact date of when that decree was issued, but it's historical, attested to outside of the Bible. It's like Persian documents that did happen. And if it's really hard to count backwards BC for me, but if you count 490 years from that day, you end up on like AD 30. I don't know if you know, there was a guy around that time who was executed, who was cut off. And here you go. Um, Jeremiah says, that our sin is what God, you know, what got us into this place of exile in Babylon, but God's going to send this descendant of David. He's going to be a king. He's going to implement righteousness, and his name will be Jehovah Sidkenu. Not too much later, Daniel says there's going to be a time when the Persia's going to let us go home, then there's going to be about 500 years later, and then the Messiah is going to come. Lo and behold, about 500 years later, this guy comes along named Jesus. His name means salvation. He's a descendant of David. And the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.21 that God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Jesus is the branch of righteousness he, in the line of David. Uh, that was prophesied by Jer Jeremiah. And he lived righteously. 1 Peter 2.22 says that Christ did not commit sin. And no deceit was found in his mouth. And then he like grew up in real life. He didn't live in a Jesus bubble where he didn't have any temptation. Uh, Hebrews 4.15 says, We don't have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who is tempted in every way, just like we are, but was without sin. Even at the very beginning of his public ministry, Jesus did everything like right, by the book, right? Righteous. He goes to John in Matthew 3, he goes to John and he says, you need to baptize me. And John at first objects and is like, what are you, I need to be baptized by you. What are you doing coming to me? And Jesus says, let us do it this way, right? Allow it to be so. This is the way for us to fulfill all righteousness. So what I see in this is that God had a plan all along to redeem his people. God is righteous, perfect, acts righteously according to his nature. And then Jesus God the Son executed that plan. He implemented righteousness. He did everything just right, obedient to the Father in ways that we never could from the beginning of his ministry through his obedience to death on a cross. Now, Paul talks a lot about this uh, subject of righteousness in his letter to the Romans. God's righteousness, our lack thereof, it's like threaded throughout. So we're going to kind of follow through that and hopefully uh, see God's cool plan and righteousness from the first chapter in Romans where he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because of the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in it, the gospel, meaning the truth about Jesus Christ, in that, God's righteousness is revealed. Jesus is 
the branch of David, Jehovah Sidkenu. Now, if you had any doubts about whether we can be righteous on our own, if we can kind of establish our own uh, conformity to the law, uh, Paul pretty much dispels that. He quotes Psalms in chapter 3 of Romans. He says, there's no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands. There's no one who seeks God. All have turned away. And then just a few verses later in, in verse 20, he says, no one will be justified meaning declared righteous in his sight by the works of the law because the knowledge of sin comes through the law. So um, the law just helps us realize how sinful we are, right? The more we understand how perfect God is and how right he is by what he's revealed in Scripture, it's just the, the starker the contrast between our inability to obey that. But verse 21, he fixes that. But now God's righteousness has been revealed. That is, God's righteousness through faith in Jesus Christ. To whom? To all who believe. And then the well-known verse, verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. They are justified, meaning they are made righteous freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Jesus is Jehovah Sidkenu, our righteousness. Real quick, I want to touch on the term justified. Um, It's used, translated in various ways depending on the context, but it always has this legal sense similar to righteousness that um, someone is to be justified is to be declared legal, like stated legally righteous. It's kind of like righteous in the eyes of the law. Justification is a legal standing of being declared righteous by someone who has authority to do it. It reminds me of that uh, ridiculous scene in The Office, um, which none of y'all have ever watched, um, where Michael made some really bad financial decisions, and so Creed is just like, we'll just declare bankruptcy and all your problems go away. And so Michael like, walks into the middle of the office and he just kind of shouts, you know, I declare bankruptcy. It's silly. But uh, it's not how it works. I wish. That would be great, actually. <laughs> Think about that. That'd be, um, so we can make those kind of statements, but they don't. There's no effect, right? But when God declares, actually reality changes. So just a little bit later in chapter four of of uh, Romans, Paul says that God gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they were. And he's what he's doing here. The context of this, he's he's trying to make an argument in this chapter that Abraham. Um, in the Old Testament, before Jesus came to earth as a baby, was already, um, justification was already because of faith and not works, even at that time. And he's saying, like, if you look in verse 3, he says that Abraham believed God, faith, and it was credited to him as righteousness. It goes on in verse 5 to say that to the person who believes in him, who declares the ungodly to be righteous, his faith is credited for righteousness. Righteousness, and I had to like think through this because Paul gets a little crazy with his language. There's all these clauses, but um, so what? I, the way I read that is to the person I, I can qualify there. The person who believes in Him, God, and what does what does God do? He is the person that declares ungodly people to be righteous. And if I put my faith in Him, who can do that, then my faith gets credited to my account as righteousness. Uh, The book of Hebrews gives us more understanding of what it was that Abraham believed God for 
that was credited to him as righteousness. It tells about multiple things. Um, but it, it says that he was exercising faith. He was believing God when after God gave him a son, he'd been childless. God told him to be a father of many nations, gave him a son. And then he tells him, go sacrifice your son, Isaac. And Hebrews indicates that Abraham fully intended to go through with the sacrifice. He just believed that God was going to raise Isaac from the dead to continue the promise. Literally, he was thinking that God gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they were. So I'll go sacrifice my son of the promise. Now, he didn't have to go through that. God spared Isaac. But God did not spare his own son, Jesus. He allowed him to die for us. And through faith in Jesus, not just what he did, but through faith in the person of Jesus, Yahweh Sidkenu, the Lord, our righteousness, now God can make uh, declare us righteous because of his son. As Paul uh, closes chapter 4 of Romans here in the last few verses, he says, now that statement, it was credited to him, because he's, he's quoting the Old Testament here, was not written for Abraham alone, but it was also for us. It will be credited to us who believe in him who raised Jesus from the dead. He was uh, delivered for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Jesus Christ is our righteousness, the Lord, our righteousness. All right, so here's the process. So we believe in Jesus and what he did for us, and then God declares us righteous because of that faith. And unlike Michael Scott... Uh, this declaration by the God of the universe actually carries the force, like the authority of law, right, and becomes reality. So if you remember in the beginning, he declared that there would be light, and there was light. And in the same way, upon our repentance of our sin and, and faith in Jesus, God says, you know, I declare Grayson righteous. I declare Anthony righteous. I declare John righteous. But the cool thing is, like, it actually happens. We become so because he declares it. So Jesus is our righteousness, Yahweh Sidkenu. One of the awesome implications of being declared righteous is immediately made clear in the, in the next verse. So it's, they switch us to chapter 5, but it was really just the next sentence. Um, says, since we have been declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through Jesus Christ. So we were enemies of God because of our sin, but that moment that he declares us righteous, we're reconciled. And it's later on in this chapter where we find out that God demonstrates his own love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And we can just keep going through Romans, and he, he proves this over and over. And in verse 19, just like one man's disobedience, Adam, caused everybody to become sinners, so one man's obedience, Jesus, his obedience unto death on the cross, many will be made righteous. And later on in chapter 8, he, he talks about how what the law couldn't do. Remember, the law just made us aware that we were garbage, right? I mean, it's pretty, okay, we didn't live up to that. That's all the law did. But what the law couldn't do, God did by sending his son in the flesh as a sin offering in order that the righteous requirements of the law would be accomplished. Then he reminds us again in chapter 10 
not to try to do this ourselves, right? Because they disregarded the righteousness from God and they attempted to establish their own righteousness, they've not submitted themselves to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law, end meaning goal. Christ is the end goal of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Again, Paul with the clauses. So the purpose of the, of the law was to get us to Christ. And now Christ becomes righteousness for everyone who believes. Um, it's pretty cool. Uh, Romans, the next chapter in 11, it actually uh, references back to Jeremiah, where we started. And it says, and this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. So it's, you know, Jeremiah, we read at the beginning, it was like chapter 23, and he's telling them, you know, y'all are going to get destroyed, but then um, there's a branch of David that's going to come, this branch of righteousness, and uh, Jehovah Sidkenu, right? He tells them to expect Jehovah Sidkenu. And just a few verses later in chapter 31, he says, look, the days are coming. This is the Lord's declaration, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. This one will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to bring them out of Egypt, a covenant they broke even though I married them. Instead, this covenant I will make with the house of Israel, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will one teach his neighbor or his brother saying, know the Lord, for they will all know me from the least to the greatest. For I will forgive their wrongdoing and never again remember their sin. So uh, God is saying, like, I held up my end of the deal, right? With this first covenant, I did all of my part. I held up my end, and you guys didn't. You were unrighteous. So now I'm going to John 3, 16, this thing, and I love you, and I love the whole world, and I'm going to send my son to he'll live righteously, and he'll take on your penalty for not living righteously. So in this new covenant, God's saying, I'm going to do my part and I'm going to do your part. I am, right? My nature is righteousness. And I will be Jehovah Sidkenu, your righteousness. And he says it, he, he makes it very specific individually, right? From the greatest to the least, not with a guy on a mountain getting tablets of stone, and he's their intermediary between you and me, but individually you can have intimacy with God because of his son's righteousness. He's going to write his laws on your heart and give you his righteousness. And now we are reconciled. We get to be made friends again, no longer separated from a holy God by our sin and it's all him. He did every part of it. He was faithful. We were not. So he becomes righteousness for us and then offers it to us. It's a terrible deal for him. It's a terrible deal. But it's great for us. Um, almost all of these verses in Romans where we've been reading in the English, you know, righteous or, or righteousness or justified, it's pretty much all just various forms of the same uh, Greek word, and, and that Greek word always, I'm not going to try to say it, it's impossible, but um, it has a, a very distinct legal meaning. It, it means to justify or to declare and to treat as if someone was righteousness in a legal sense. Uh, I grew up in a particular Christian tradition denomination where I often heard the phrase, plead the blood of Jesus. Did anybody else ever plead the blood of Jesus? 
Your back wasn't feeling good? Plead the blood of Jesus on that. Need a job? We're going to plead the blood of Jesus over that. Um, while that particular phrasing is not found in Scripture in just that way, it's possible that some of us might have taken it a little far, the name and claim it kind of deal, maybe. But the intent behind it, that there is power and authority because of the blood of Jesus to change something in the spiritual realm and to move a soul from death to life. From unrighteous to righteous. That's, that's very real. And the roots of the phrase, they go back to the practice of the Israelites where, you know, once a year in the Day of Atonement, the, the blood of the perfect lamb would, would uh, uh, cover the sins of the people. And even all the way back to the first Passover where they would paint the blood of the lamb over their doorposts so that the angel of death, the, the justice and wrath of God against sin would pass over them. I mention this phrase, plead the blood of Jesus, because of all the legal verbiage that Paul is using here in Romans about righteousness and justification. He, he's using that terminology to describe how God treats us once we put our faith. It's a very, it's a very fine line. Um, it's, it's how he treats us once we put our faith in his son. If you've ever watched or been part of uh, like legal proceedings or ever seen Law and Order or like any other movie, there's like you will have seen how at some point the judge has the uh, accused sort of stand up and reads the, the crimes, and then he says, "How do you plea?" Right? And the accused has the defendant has to say usually it's one of three things like plead guilty, plead not guilty, or plead uh, no contest, which is like I'm not going to say I'm guilty but I'm not going to fight you about it, you know? Um, so we're all going to stand before a judge, the judge, one day. And in that moment, the truth is that we will all be guilty. That's, that is accurate. No one is righteous, not even one. In that moment, I'm not going to be able to plea uh, not guilty by reason of somebody in the church hurt me or I saw a hypocrite. Though all of those things probably will happen. Um, as Teresa explained last week, you know, we're sheep and sheep are stupid and sheep bite and sheep hurt themselves and they hurt each other. And those are not excuses for sheep. Those are just true things about sheep. And I'm not going to be able to plead um, not guilty by reason of how the sheep made me feel because I'm accountable to the shepherd. Um, I can't plea not guilty by reasons of I didn't really know, because Romans 1 says that what can be known about God has been made plain through his creation so that men are without excuse. And I can't even plea not guilty by you know, reason of I filled my life with other pursuits and ambitions and pleasures and accomplishments to kind of numb the emptiness of my soul that only a relationship with my creator can fill. And I just never slowed down enough to realize my need for you. Not guilty. That's, that's not gonna, that plea doesn't work either. Only one plea will give a positive outcome. So I want you to imagine for a moment that you're standing before the judge, and how do you plea? Because you have an opportunity because of the mercy of I am 
you have an opportunity because of Yahweh's Sidkenu, the Lord is righteousness, and did your part that you couldn't do because you couldn't be righteousness. You get to say, I plead the blood of Jesus, the branch of David, the branch of righteousness, Jehovah Sidkenu. Uh, Deb, you want to come on? Thank you. So God is righteous when he acts according to the terms of the agreement with man. He's always righteous. God's righteousness can be seen in his, his saving work through the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And then so the, the acceptance of that, the acceptance of what Jesus did on Calvary and me being able to place my faith in the person of Jesus, that is what God has decided is the means by which unrighteous sinners get transferred into the kingdom of God and become righteous and forgive sins, receive forgiveness of sins. So Tim talked about Jehovah Bor, right? God the creator. He sets the parameters for our life and eternal life and our salvation, not us. That's the method. But he's done everything. He's done his part. He's done our part. He's done literally all parts of the new covenant are performed by God. God declares sinners righteous because of the righteousness of his son. And then he actually like through the death and the resurrection of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit, he now enables us to be righteous now in this life. He does that part too. So he's El Roy, the God who sees you right now, wherever you are, in the wilderness maybe, in the, in the depths of unrighteousness where we all lived. But he's also Jehovah Sidkenu, the Lord who will be your righteousness if you stop trying to establish your own and you put your faith in Jesus who fulfilled the righteous requirements of the law. And when you do that, God will declare you legally righteous. He will declare you, you have good standing with me again. And then in that moment, he becomes Jehovah Shalom your peace. No longer an enemy of God, reconciled to God. And then he'll, he'll start the process of being Jehovah-Rohi, the Lord, your shepherd, where he's picking you up because you're dumb and you, you fell down again and he's anointing your head with oil and he's protecting you. And then He'll be Jehovah M'Kadesh to you, the Lord who, who makes you holy through that process. And the whole purpose of this is that eventually Jesus wants to present you to the Father, part of his bride, spotless and without blemish, actually righteous. Right? So he will declare you righteous. He'll give you power to become righteous and then accomplish it ultimately and completely in heaven. Uh, but it all starts for us as individuals 
with believing in the branch of David, the branch of righteousness, Jehovah Sidkenu, the Lord our righteousness, who, who lived righteously and implements righteousness for us. If everybody would uh, bow your heads, close your eyes. Got a very simple ask here. I believe that there are people here who need to put their trust in Jehovah Sidkenu and the Lord for your righteousness and not rely on your own or your own arguments for who you are and why you believe what you believe but you need to lay your case down I believe there are people who will need to be transferred from the status standing of unrighteous to good standing. If that's you, I just ask that you would raise your hand. I see that. Thank you. Thank you. Is there anybody else? How will you plead? I'm going to pray. Anybody can pray with me. There's no magic in the special words. We're just going to turn our hearts toward God and away from ourselves. If you want to repeat after me, we'll pray. And what's cool is in this moment, if you mean it, you will be declared righteous. Lord, I am not righteous. Lord, I am sinful without you. God, I need you to make me righteous because of your son. God, I repent of my wrongdoing. I ask you to enable me to become righteous. Make me righteous and help me become righteous. Lord, I trust in you for everything. In Jesus' name, amen. So um, there's going to be people down here if you need prayer for anything. Uh, If you made a decision to put on God's righteousness, follow Christ, you want to tell somebody. If you have anything else you want to pray with, or even if you just want to Spend a, take a few minutes and celebrate inwardly with the Lord of what he's done for you, how he's been your righteousness. Uh, it's pretty cool. We finished kind of going through Romans and we just kind of ended in 11, but start where it ends there and it talks about uh, how we got this, we received mercy that we didn't deserve. But if you just read a couple more sentences into, into chapter 12, verse one, it says, now, now that we've received mercy that we didn't deserve, now present your bodies as living sacrifices holy and pleasing to the Lord. This is your reasonable act of worship. So there's great celebration in, in this, what God has done, Yahweh, Sidkenu. Um, be people here down here, if you want to pray, talk to anybody about anything, and then I don't know if we'll just sing a quick song, and then maybe Brady will close us out. Thank you for joining us at The Way today. 
Our prayer is that through a relationship with Jesus, you would know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. If you'd like to find out more about our church, please visit us online at thewaylakeland.com or by visiting our Facebook page at The Way Lakeland or Instagram page at The Way Church Lakeland.